You are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note, the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. Hello, I'm Bex and I'm here to welcome you back to Where Your Treasure Is, episode seven, where we look at part two of negative money. Last week, Simon and I introduced the topic of debt and laid some of the foundations of how we can be faithful and effective in the way we handle borrowing. But we still have some outstanding questions. And so today I'm not going to let Simon leave until he answers them. Your persistence and perseverance is very commendable, Bex. However, uh, can I suggest if you, anyone at home has missed part one of negative money, that you go and listen to that one first. In the meantime, let's give the briefest of recaps about the principles we covered last time. So from a biblical perspective, we discussed that whilst debt isn't necessarily wrong, we should avoid getting into debt by borrowing to buy things we don't need, try to get out of debt as soon as we can, and try our best to repay our debts on time and fully. And then from a practical perspective, we talked about the difference between good debt and bad debt. So good debt might be for something that you need rather than just something that you want. It might help you save money or it might help you to make money in the future, or it could be into an asset that might grow in value. And then we finished off by making sure that you only ever into debts, which you are pretty certain you can afford to pay back in the future. So Simon, I want to get your thoughts on some of the other types of negative money. Um, which maybe some people don't consider to be debt at all. So what do we need to know about credit cards, overdraft, personal loans, consolidation loans, student loans, and I'm sure many other types of loans I haven't mentioned. Yeah, yeah. all those you've mentioned and other things such as uh, buy now, pay later arrangements, store cards or payday loans, they all have one thing in common. And that is that someone somewhere is looking to make a profit from lending you that money. Now, we spoke last time about the interest that is due on loans. I appreciate sometimes it's possible to get an interest-free loan. And when that's the case, even then, you've got to be very cautious because someone somewhere is still trying to make a profit on you. Even within that, though, I take it that some debts are better than others from the perspective of the person borrowing money. So let's start by looking at overdrafts, which is one of the first types of debt that I was offered, and I didn't really realize it was debt at the time. Yeah, me too. It seemed like in my generation, certainly it was a kind of rite of passage. You got this letter in the post from your bank. I'm sure now they probably send you a text saying that your children's bank account has been upgraded to a proper adult's account and that you're now eligible for a pre-approved interest-free overdraft. I think my first one was like £100. And in that moment, it feels like someone has just given you free money. Uh, You can spend it whenever you like, on whatever you like, and there's no parents telling you, oh, don't spend it all in one shop. You go wild, you can splash out, you buy stuff you couldn't afford before. To be honest, £100 wouldn't get you very far today compared to when I was young. This is the lesson that the banks want you to learn, that using other people's money to buy stuff feels great. It's a lesson in instant gratification. Why, Why wait to buy something when you can have it now? You know, buy now, pay later, because you're worth it. But remember, Bex, someone, somewhere, is trying to make a profit off you. 
Now, an overdraft can be a very sensible safety net. If you happen to run out of money before you run out of month, then having that buffer could save you a lot of grief. And that is how an overdraft should be used. It's for emergency use only. It's not your money. It's the bank's money. And one day, they will want it back. And if you accidentally spend a bit more than your pre-approved interest-free overdraft, then the costs can quickly mount up. And another rite of passage that I experienced, and to be honest, something I've always been a little bit scared of, was being offered my first credit card. So how is a credit card different from something like an overdraft or a debit card? A few factoids for you first. The first credit card was invented in 1950. Now, in the UK, there are about 60 million credit cards currently in issue. That is more than one for every adult in the country. And then there are store cards. Now, store cards are just another kind of credit card, just branded to the store you're shopping in. Now, the big difference between a credit card and, let's say, a debit card is that you're using somebody else's money to pay for what you're buying. So when you pay with a debit card, you're spending your own money. It's money that's in your bank account and you're accessing it. If you don't have enough money, then your card won't work. Unless, of course, you're going into your overdraft, your for emergency use only overdraft. But with a credit card, remember, someone somewhere is trying to make a profit from you. How do they do this? I want you to imagine the terminology. You have been awarded a credit card. Oh, doesn't it sound great to have won a new credit card? What if you got a message through from your, from your bank, for example, and they said, congratulations, we are manipulating you into taking up a debt card. Do you think you'd be up for that, Bex? Because essentially that is what is happening. You're being sold an expensive bit of debt under the guise of convenience and reward. Now, we all know that I'm a bit of a language nerd, but that seems a little bit harsh. Aren't there some really good reasons to have a credit card? I've certainly been told that it's fantastic for building your credit score, key for getting a mortgage. What about interest-free periods or consumer protection in place? Yeah, all those things are really valid, Bex. And I have always pretty much had one or two credit cards on the go. So they're certainly not all bad, but they can be dangerous and they have to be managed very carefully. Credit cards kind of tempt you in. They offer these interest-free periods, rewards and bonuses. Yes, build your credit rating, which they can do. But credit cards only work properly for you, not the issuer, if you're always able to pay back what you owe at the end of each month. Now, I found some data online just this week. Credit card companies globally make about £130 billion a year off people like you and me borrowing money and paying interest. That's a huge amount of money. Now, I have used credit cards to buy all sorts of kind of things, but I try and make sure that I'm only spending as much as I have already in the bank. So I'm using the credit card to build my credit rating, to get this consumer protection, but I always know I have got the money already. It's good debt if it's managed that way, but it can turn quickly into bad debt if you don't have the means of paying off the credit card at the end of the month. Let's talk a minute about consumer protection. It's actually called Section 75 protection. It comes from the 1974 Consumer Credit Act. Basically, it means this. If you buy something that costs more than £100, 
and you use a credit card to buy even a portion of it, and if you don't receive the thing that you've paid for or receive properly what you've paid for, the credit card company is responsible to give you the money back, not the person you've bought it from. The credit card sorts that out. So if you're ever buying something big, a holiday, a car, a new kitchen, then try and pay a deposit at least with a credit card to get that protection. Now, a comment, some people say this to me, but I, I use credit card, Simon, and I pay it off at the end of every month. So I'm using it very sensibly, very wisely. Maybe. But if you have to build up that credit card debt, and then you're using the pay you have received at the end of the month just to manage to pay it off, you're still in debt for most of the month. Ideally, you would still only use credit cards to spend money that you know you already have in the bank. And if you're not after protection or credit rating, then why not just use your debit card? Lots of a really good, challenging advice there. I think I'm still going to ponder whether I want a credit card for a long time. But let's move on to loans. And here I'm thinking about car loans, personal loans, consolidation loans, and payday loans. What do we need to keep in mind when we're dealing with these? We'll just scratch the surface here, Bex, but let's think the same kind of stuff as with a credit card. The lender is trying to make a profit from you. With a credit card, they're hoping that you spend more money and maybe you don't pay it back quickly. And they can then charge you a high rate of interest, perhaps 18, 20% on a credit card. With a loan, it's different. You agree in advance how much you're going to borrow, for how long, and at what interest rate. And then you're going to repay that loan typically every month until the debt is fully repaid. Now, the interest rate is typically a lot lower than for credit cards. Actually, my first bank loan was to repay my student overdraft. I'd had this three or four year period of a free money overdraft from my bank. It was about £2,000 at the end of my course. And then they came along and said, we want you to repay your student loan, but we'll give you, sorry, your student overdraft, but we'll give you a loan for two years to help you pay it off. And then for the next two years, I paid back every month, fortunately, out of my first pay packet until that debt had gone. So eventually I paid it all and all I had left was my student loan at that point. So we'll come back to student loans in a second. But what I'm a bit baffled by is why your bank would give you so much free money for so long. So remember again, someone somewhere is trying to make a profit. How can they make a profit by giving away interest-free overdrafts and loans? Well, they're trying to secure me as a future client, one who one day will be truly profitable, who will want a mortgage and a car loan and a credit card and, and on and on and on it goes. The free money is their hook to get me as one of their customers. Now, what I would point out is that they don't really reward loyalty anymore. Gone are the days when you had your friendly bank manager and you'd walk into the bank branch and you would negotiate a loan. It doesn't happen that way anymore. The bank wants to make a profit from you and you as a consumer want to get the best deal from your banking. So we're going to give you those two kind of key questions again. Question number one, does God want me to borrow this money? And it might be part of his purpose for your life and what you're trying to achieve that, yes, you need a loan to do it, in which case you go and get the best loan you can, lowest interest rate potentially. And the second question is this one, is this going to be a good debt or a bad debt, a good debt, one that you're investing in your future to make money, to save money, an asset that's growing in value, something you need, 
And if it's not those things, if it's a bad debt, then perhaps you should consider saving up. And when you've got enough money, then go and buy the thing that you want. Now, that is totally counter-cultural. It's not the way the world does things anymore. But we know that being a Christian is a totally counter-cultural choice. Absolutely. And it's really interesting to see how that ties in with how we spend our money as well. So coming back to the topic of student loans, while it's not relevant to every listener in this podcast, I know that we have a number of students listening or in fact graduates who still have their student loans and are paying them off, of which I am definitely one of those people. So aren't there some specific issues around the repayment of student loans that are a little bit different to other loans? Yeah, there are. Student loans come with a whole set of rules. Now, the details are complex. I would point you towards the student loan section of the gov.uk website. But there are two main rules we're going to talk about here. One is about repayment and one is about cancellation. So the repayment of your student loan is automatically taken from your salary once you're earning above a certain amount, certainly for employees their employer will deduct money from their payslip. Now, the amount that you have to earn varies depending on which category of loan you're in. But broadly speaking, as of today, you have to be earning at least £20,000 before you have to start paying off your student loan. Now, you can make extra repayments if you want to, but the key question is, well, should you make extra payments and get it paid off sooner? Because the second interesting rule is that student loans can be written off. Now, when the loan is written off, again, depends on which category of loan you're in. For some of them, it's 25 years after the point you started to be eligible to pay the loan off. For some, it's 30 years. For some, it's at age 65. Oh, and also the loan happens to be cancelled if you die. So this raises a couple of questions. The first is the usual debt-related question. Does God want me to borrow this money to take a student loan? And the second question is, should I pay it back sooner, faster than just the normal process out of my salary? So let's think about that first question. A student loan might be good debt. Okay, maybe you are investing in your future. You're not buying something that you strictly need. You don't need an education beyond what you get given provided by the government. But you're not saving money either. It costs to go to college or university. You could go and get a job instead. But with a long-term perspective, you're investing in your future, in your education, which will likely make you more valuable in the future. Now, that in itself is an interesting concept. Most people think about the most valuable single asset they'll ever own as their car or their house, or maybe one day their pension fund. But actually, you, the individual, you are your most valuable financial asset, your ability to work and to earn money. And so investing in yourself through a good education or through maintaining good health is a really good example of superb stewardship, looking after what God has given you to use it to serve his purposes. So I think student loans generally are a good debt, provided your aim is to get an education and get a job rather than just enjoy a great student life. When it comes then to the repayment of student loans, a key factor is that student loans are generally really cheap, by which I mean the interest rate is low. Now, some people think, you know what, I'm just not going to bother repaying the student loan for as long as I possibly can. 
I might live long enough that I don't have to pay it all off. It gets written off. or I might die too soon and it gets cancelled. But if we think back to the last episode and we talked about some principles found in the Bible about debt, and one of them was that if you can repay a debt, then you should repay a debt. What was the purpose of the loan? It wasn't just to get cheap money. It was to invest in your financial future to make you more able to repay the debt and then have resources to support your purposes in the future. Is it God's call on your life to try and avoid paying debt? I don't think it's ever that. I think he wants us to be faithful stewards of money. And if we are faithful, he can help us to become faithful with larger amounts of money. We can be trusted in that way. But there is at least one circumstance when you shouldn't choose to repay your student loan earlier than necessary. And that's when you have more than one debt. And we'll probably come back to that in a few minutes. Just before we do that, Simon, could you talk to us a little bit about buy now, pay later arrangements? And here I'm thinking about when I'm online shopping and I see companies like Klarna offering me to buy now and pay later or things like interest-free credit arrangements that let you buy furniture or electronics now and pay for them in the future. Would these arrangements come into good debt or bad debt? So the first thing you've pointed out correctly is these are kinds of debt. The moment you buy something, whether or not you've paid for it yet, you owe the money and you might send it back. But if you don't, you are in debt, whether it's clothing or furniture or a new TV. And yes, it's interest free, but that doesn't mean it's costing you nothing. Let me explain why. So the first question again, does God want me to borrow this money? Now, depending on what you're buying, the answer could be yes or no. But from a purely financial perspective, you might think to yourself, hey, why wouldn't I do this by now and not have to pay for it yet? Hey, it's free money. But once again, consider what is the advantage to us, the borrower? We get our item sooner. What is the advantage to the lender, the person who's giving us the item and not asking us to pay for it yet, the person who is lending us the money? They have to make a profit. They want to make a profit somewhere. How can they do that when they're not charging us any interest? Okay, first point, maybe they're not selling it as cheaply as they could. You could find that same item somewhere else for a lower cost, not on a buy now, pay later deal. So they're making a bit of a margin, possibly. However, the main way they make money is because it encourages you as a consumer, as a shopper, to buy more stuff. So Klarna, you mentioned them. They offer this buy now or try before you buy at lots of online shops. And you can order a big pile of clothing, try it on, keep the ones you want, send the rest back. The temptation then is to order more clothes and try more clothes on. And all the marketers know that in that moment, you're more likely to keep more of the items. Klarna themselves state they can increase the amount that people spend shopping by 34% doing it this way. That's a massive increase in your spending and the profits to the shops. That is really frightening when you've spelled it out like that. And so we've covered the main types of debt that people might have. But you mentioned earlier that there can be ways in which we should choose to repay debt when we have more than one type. So I suppose the first question is, which debt should we pay off first? There are, broadly speaking, Bex, two different strategies that I would generally recommend. 
One is more logical and one is more emotional, but they are both really given the nickname of snowballing. Let me explain what snowballing is. For both approaches, you have to do two things, first of all. Number one, identify all the different debts that you have. Think as broadly as possible. Credit cards, personal loans, buy now, pay later arrangements, student loan, even your mortgage or your car loan if you have them. Get all those lined up, all the information, and find out, step two, the following information for each of those debts. How much you owe, the outstanding balance, the interest rate you're being charged, how much you pay each month, and how long there is left to go until the loan is fully repaid based on you paying the regular or minimal amount that you're supposed to pay. Once you've got that information, snowballing method number one is this. Line up all of those debts, those liabilities, from the smallest to the biggest in terms of the amount outstanding. So what might be a case is you've got a small buy now, pay later, and you've got a big mortgage. So the buy now, pay later comes first, the mortgage comes last. Any spare money you have that you're focusing on trying to reduce your debt, you put towards the smallest debt first. Get that one paid off quickly. Not a very big debt. Hopefully it goes pretty quickly. Then you take the monthly payment that you were paying for that one and you apply it towards the second smallest debt while continuing to pay the normal minimal payments on all your other debts. So your small payment becomes a bit bigger. You pay off the second smallest debt. You add that amount on again and you have the third smallest debt to work towards. And so your monthly payment towards each of these debts is getting slowly bigger and bigger and bigger like a snowball rolling down a hill, for example, hence why it's called snowballing. Now, this is the emotional way because you quickly get rid of a couple of small debts, hopefully, and it makes you feel good about the progress you're making and it keeps you on track for working towards the bigger debts. But it's not the most logical or, in fact, the most financially efficient method. Snowballing method number two, instead of ordering your debts from the smallest to the biggest, you order them from the highest interest rate, the most expensive debt you have, to the lowest interest rate. Now, in that scenario, something like a credit card would be probably the highest interest rate that you have. It's the one that's costing you the most. Whereas your mortgage or your student loan or your interest-free loan are relatively cheap, low interest rates. You now focus your money on the expensive debts, the credit card, even if it's bigger. Work it paying that one off. Because once you've done that, you make a big impact, a big hit, a lot of cash savings. And then you move down to the second most expensive and the third, and you snowball that way. Now, that way you will save money faster, but it's quite a logical approach. And the aim is to become eventually totally debt-free. And I mean totally debt-free, no car loan, and one day even no mortgage potentially. But there are two key points to note. Don't be tempted to get back into debt simply because you now have more cash flow available. You're trying to be managing your money and not being managed by your money. Be disciplined to get debt-free and then stay debt-free. And the second point is this. For some people, that process is just too hard. They don't have the spare cash. They can't keep up with the regular payments on their current debts. In that circumstance, if that's you, do go and seek professional support from one of the free debt support services. We would definitely recommend Christians Against Poverty or Citizens Advice.
Thank you so much for that whistle-stop tour of all things negative money. And I definitely get the impression that we could dig a whole lot deeper into each of these topics, and perhaps we will in future. If you have a particular question you'd like us to address in a future podcast episode, or if you'd just like to get in touch with us, then we'd love you to do that either through where your treasure is at freerangepodcasting.co.uk or on Instagram at where your treasure is podcast. That's all we've got time for today, but we hope that you'll subscribe and listen into the next episode of where your treasure is when we'll be talking about key life stages in financial planning. This has been me, Bex Elder. And me, Spina Glazier. Bye. Goodbye. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go. Thank you.